good afternoon all. Thank you for uh, making the time to join us uh, for this online only version of the Safety Leadership Series. You're joining me in my Melbourne home uh, as we endure uh, lockdown 2.0. The first day uh, people are going to be wearing masks out in the street here in Melbourne, although you know, hopefully we keep it contained to the state. Um, I'm joined today by my friends and colleagues in all of our four Australian offices. Um, you can see Aaron Anderson uh, up in the top screen there. Aaron is the partner leading our health and safety team uh, in our Brisbane office. Nerida Jessup, uh, newly minted special counsel uh, leading our safety team in the New South Wales office. And Anna Cregan, uh, partner over in uh, Perth. Uh, some of those states in various degrees of freedom and sunshine compared to the compared to the rest. But anyway, it was nice to get up this morning and dress up to, to see you all. So thanks so much for joining. Um, as, we, as we do as part of our commitment to, to, to reconciliation, I, I would just like to pause, and it's unusual to do it in a virtual environment, I suppose, but to, to recognise at the very least the traditional owners of the land in which I'm broadcasting to you from. That's the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I'm very respectful of them and their present and past elders and leaders of the future. Um, and and uh, you know, we're, we're, we're proud to make that a part of our welcome to these introductions uh, and these sorts of presentations. Today, we're going to have a chat around the country about what is happening uh, with the idea of workplace manslaughter. So a lot of death uh, today. You can't have a manslaughter offence or a prosecution without a death occurring. And I, I suppose I just wanted to acknowledge at the outset, we will talk to you today about our perspectives on uh, what the new legislation in our various jurisdictions looks like, what the impact of that might be on businesses and on their boards and on senior leaders. Um, but of course, the, these offences are only ever triggered in the event of a, of a workplace fatality. Um, and, and I just wanted to pause just before we uh, you know, commence this presentation. And I, I'm always reminded, you know, I have the benefit of speaking to, to clients or speaking at conferences where often there is somebody who's been a personal victim of a, of a workplace fatality, they've lost a a loved one, they've lost a husband, they've lost a wife, or a mother or a father. Uh, and, and I should say, you know, having had the um, uh, opportunity to help some of our clients through those awful situations, uh, there is grief on all sides uh, and, and, and uh, not, not equatable, but, but shared by those in organisations. And so I, I must say, for the organisations that we at Herbert Smith Reels, you know, have the, have the benefit of advising, all of those organisations strive to avoid both serious injuries and, and deaths at workplace. And for those that might be uh, through circumstance or, or failure uh, subject to, to a death at one of their workplaces, I can tell you that, that a death at a workplace fundamentally changes an organisation. Uh, I, I must say, the organisations I've seen that have had deaths uh, of members of the public, of workers, uh, of, of others, um, have never been the same. They've gone through the process, we've shepherded them through the investigation, through the legal proceedings that follow, the coronial inquests, the civil claims that naturally flow. And that's a legal process and it takes its course and it will be enhanced, increased in terms of risk with these manslaughter provisions. But the emotional journey our clients go through and the cultural, often negative, cultural impact of these deaths is, is of course profound. So I, I think it's important, I've, I've had the chance to speak to many clients about this topic. Um, but I, I don't want to divorce the law from the reality. The reality is, of course, these, these offences only arise in the event of death. And nothing we'll say today sort of downplays the significance of that. 
But there's a social need for an expectation for these workplace manslaughter offences, which speaks to, you know, that personal grief and loss. But there is a legal question too, and I, and I suppose today we'll, we'll focus on that. We'll talk to you about cases uh, that have been recently determined on, on workplace manslaughter, the way in which various states have grappled with and are tackling or proposing to tackle what these offences might look like. And at, at the heart of that is a genuine question about what the legal need and what the legal benefit is of a, of a workplace manslaughter offence being brought into uh, occupational health and safety or workplace health and safety, or OSH, I suppose, in WA legislation. Is there a need? Does it fulfil a failure of legislation that currently exists or existed before the introduction of those new laws? That is a genuine question, and that is a that is a question that, you know, as practitioners, many of you health and safety professionals or legal advisors are entitled to ask, you know, what is it these laws are intending to address? Is there a problem with the existing law or, or is it doing something else? And so today we'll grapple with that question, talk to you about what the law uh, will look like at the jurisdictions where we've introduced it, talk about the way in which governments are otherwise dealing with that. And at the heart of the presentation today, we're, we're going to focus on that question. What, you know, what was the need for the workplace manslaughter offences and having been introduced, what is their impact? And that is the, uh, the, 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 the crux of what we're presenting today. So Tamar, if you wouldn't mind hitting the next slide for me. I wanted to start um, uh, with, a, with, a, with an observation. The Work Health and Safety Act uh, was introduced in Victoria, as, as many of you know, about eight or so years ago, and it was recently subject to review. And the reviewers of the Work Health and Safety Act that applies everywhere except the states which Anna and I uh, reside, introduced an idea of due diligence, a personal duty owed positively by directors uh, to, to be satisfied that their company was complying with the law. And that duty was reviewed eight or nine years after these laws were introduced. And the themes that I've set out on the slide here are the, the way in which regulators and those who draft these laws view regulation in this area. More law is better. More regulation leads to better safety outcomes. And again, I, I don't challenge that per se, but I do make the observation that that is the very standpoint from which these new laws are being introduced. And that leads, I suppose, Tamar, if you, if you go to the next slide, to this drumbeat you know, across Australia um, uh, for the introduction of more law, more sanctions, more penalties for organisations or individuals who are exposed to deaths. It's a reflex action. It's a, it's a, it's a sort of a, a learned behaviour that if we feel that safety uh, or other regulatory matters are not being improved, we don't need to better enforce the laws we've got. We need new laws. We need new and stronger laws. And again, I think that is a genuine question when we look at the introduction of workplace manslaughter laws across the country. Is there a need for new law at all? Uh, or do we have sufficient ammunition in the existing occupational health and safety or equivalent legislation, which would have been sufficient? And Aaron will talk to you about a case where, uh, notwithstanding the discussion of manslaughter, there were prosecutions against individuals not for manslaughter offences in you know, quite dramatic and, and, and frankly, you know, appalling sort of circumstances. So this slide here gives you a sense that the, the, the workplace manslaughter debate has gathered steam. That debate about whether the, the, the need for these new laws um, uh, needs to be met by their introduction has almost been engulfed in some jurisdictions. In my jurisdiction in Victoria, where I sit today, uh, that debate was run and, uh, and lost last year and there was a new bill introduced. Different states are taking different options and that's what we're hoping to do as we talk through this today. I should say, and Tamar, if you, if you skip forward two slides, this uh, presentation will be available for, for, for attendees uh, after the session. Um, and so too, will we take a recording of this presentation and we'll make that available 
uh, on request and that'll be available for them as well. I have one slide I want to show you in relation to the Victorian position and then we'll hear from Aaron about the case in Queensland. This is what has been done uh, in, in the Victorian law. So as of the 1st of July, uh, the Victorian law has introduced a workplace manslaughter offence, which in general terms applies to companies and it applies to officers. Um, when you're drafting these new laws, you've got a choice as a parliament. You can choose uh, any number of future pathways. One of them is to choose who should be susceptible to a prosecution for a manslaughter offence. The choice that was made in, in the Victorian jurisdiction was to limit that the individuals or the entities that could be prosecuted for a workplace manslaughter offence. Only companies uh, under, the, under the provisions we set out there, or if there's to be a human being prosecuted for workplace manslaughter, only officers can be, can be prosecuted for those offences here in Victoria. There's been a lot of debate about who is an officer uh, in, in Victoria and, and, and almost tinged with a desire to avoid you know, these, these new laws. I suppose I'd make this observation that whether you're an officer or not, in Victoria, you're still susceptible to a prosecution for reckless endangerment, the sort of offence that Aaron uh, is gonna to talk to you about uh, in, in, our, in our Brisbane case study. So whether you're an officer or not, doesn't mean you do or do not have an exposure to, to a jail term, to a custodial sentence under the Victoria Malachis Act, but it does impact your capacity to be charged with a workplace manslaughter offence. And the workplace manslaughter offences that exist in Victoria is set out there on the screen. Uh, it only applies if there was an existing health and safety duty that was owed either by the officer or by the company. And that's really important. What, what has happened is there has been no broadening of the footprint of health and safety regulation. Instead, there's been an increase in the potential sanction for the most serious conduct. And that, I think, is the theme of the way in which various states and territories have introduced these new laws. So the thing that a regulator will have to prove here in Victoria is that an organisation already owed a duty uh, to a member of the public, a worker, a contractor, somebody else. They breached it in a way which caused a death. The direct causal relationship is going to be important. I cannot tell you the number of questions I've had about if a death arises as a result of COVID. Could that result in a workplace manslaughter offence? Uh, I'll, I'll tell you my thoughts on that perhaps as we go through some questions at the end. And then finally, there's got to be a degree of criminal negligence. This is my last point, and then, and then we'll hear from, from Aaron. It's an unusual thing they've done. The, the word negligence, of course, means lots of things in lots of contexts. You trip over a pavement because a, a tree branch has cracked the, cracked the sidewalk. You might think a council has been negligent in, in, in failing to manage that. You slip on a grape. At a supermarket, you might think that's the standard of negligence, a bingle in a car. And that is true. All of those things can be negligence of law. But what's intended by this language of negligence in the uh, work Occupational Health and Safety Act here in Victoria is a standard of criminal negligence. So to be prosecuted for this offence, you need to engage in behaviour which is akin to uh, recklessly killing somebody with your motor vehicle, the same sort of test dangerous driving causing death. That the conduct you've engaged in is such a great falling short of the standard of behaviour that the community would accept that it warrants the sanction of the criminal law. There's a bit of nuance about how that's been drafted in the OHS Act, but, but in short, the intent of these new laws against companies and officers is, is to catch the most serious conduct. Now, I'll just make a final observation here. For those jurisdictions that have had these new laws in place for a while, the UK being one of them, 
um, if you look at the, the, the run of prosecutions they've had over 10 years, they get about four or five manslaughter prosecutions a year in the UK, for what it's worth for, for these sorts of workplace offences. And if you look at those and you, and you sort of rack them up, the, the early prosecutions were exceptionally egregious behaviour. An apprentice driving a truck with brakes that don't work. The sorts of conduct Aaron will talk you through about the New South Wales case. That's how this started uh, in terms of the way in which these new laws were applied. But if you fast forward 10 years and you look at the sorts of conduct that is today being prosecuted in the UK, many of those offences would be uh, not uncommon sorts of circumstances in which a worker may have lost their life at work. And again, none of that is to deny the significance of that, but it's to make the observation that there is a, an element of this becoming a routine set of prosecutions for any death at a workplace, not reserving these offences for the most serious conduct, but really using them for what is uh, quite ordinary failures to, to provide a safe workplace. Now that deserves a punishment, of course, whether it deserves a manslaughter punishment sort of remains to be seen. So my message, I suppose, is that this, this new law has been established to prosecute only great falling short of the standard of behaviour. Um, that's the standard that's being applied in the legislation. But if you think about the way in which this might be socially applied, you can make the observation that over time, the sorts of matters that are brought before the courts in Victoria uh, may be, become less and less extreme examples and more of the common sorts of circumstances that might lead to a workplace death. And again, that's not to give a, a judgment on whether that's right or wrong, but it's to make the observation that over time, I think we'll see an increase of prosecutions under these under these laws in Victoria. So I, I, it's remiss of me not to make the observation at the start. We, we have a chat function as part of this uh, as part of this format. So if you have questions, we'd love to hear those as we go through. I can see a few questions arising already, but if, if, if there are more, please send them through. And after we've gone through our presentation, we'll loop back and we'll give you uh, our responses to all those questions we've got. So that's to give you the footprint of, of Australia at a high level and to give you a bit of detail about what's happening here in Victoria. So from, from that, Aaron, I think I'll invite you to talk about what happened with our first ever workplace manslaughter Australian prosecution. Yeah, thanks, Steve. That's the case. We've recently had a decision here in Queensland, which has been handed down by the District Court, which has applied the industrial manslaughter offence, uh, which was included in the Work Health and Safety Act quite some time ago. Uh, in fact, if everyone recalls here in Queensland, uh, you know, we had a sequence of tragic events, um, including at the Dreamworld theme park back in 2016. Uh, we had an inquiry and a report which recommended that uh, in Queensland the regulator move to more of a hard enforcement approach uh, and then come sort of the end of seven, year 2017, I think in October 2017, suddenly we had the introduction of industrial manslaughter laws um, into the WHS regime here in Queensland. Um, you've talked, Steve, about the concept of the need for uh, industrial manslaughter offences in WHS legislation and it's a really interesting subject area and we could spend a lot of time on it. One observation that I have to make in um, listening to you uh, and talking about this area for quite some time, and we'll hear from Anna also as to what's going on uh, in WA, and of course, Nerida will tell us about the position in New South Wales. But um, a, a very clear observation is if, if there is a need, and, and I'm not suggesting there is, um, what's apparent when you look at the industrial manslaughter laws that have been introduced across the jurisdictions is um, they all have their own nuances um, and they have their own elements. 
Uh, and from a legal perspective, industrial manslaughter or any offence is all about understanding um, what are the elements that go to the creation of the offence. Um, and my view is if, if there is a need, um, at least a level of consistency across the jurisdictions was necessary. And unfortunately, we haven't achieved that. So we can have a situation here where, you know, particularly organisations that operate across borders and in different jurisdictions that, uh, you know, uh, there are technical elements of these offences which apply differently. Um, that's, that's my personal observation. In Queensland, we've had a lot happening. Uh, people have probably heard um, in the press fairly recently that um, the um, outcome of the um, Dreamworld matter is that there now have been charges brought by the new WHS prosecutor, uh, and those charges are category two charges against the operating entity Ardent Leisure under the Work Health and Safety Act. So they're currently before the court. It's taken quite some time for those charges to be laid. Obviously, um, they are post a coronial inquest. Uh, but an interesting observation to be made, of course, is that the industrial manslaughter offence in Queensland here. Um, only applies in the circumstances where a worker dies, um, doesn't apply beyond that. Um, and so that, of course, means that um, looking at the, the dream world outcome with four uh, patrons on the Thunder River Rapids ride, that was never going to be a case where industrial manslaughter um, could be considered as an offence um, under the current regime. So, again, um, one wonders why, if there is a need, um, it's limited to simply workers um, who have died um, uh, rather than sort of any person who someone might owe a duty to. So that brings me to sort of where we've got to and um, we've had a decision that's been handed down, as I said, um, fairly recently, just last month. Um, and I, I just want to discuss this decision from the outset. I don't want to disappoint you all. Um, some of you may have read about the decision, um, but in my view, it doesn't provide us with any real insights into the concept of industrial manslaughter. Steve has um, discussed the concept of this um, criminal negligence test, this so far short of the standard of expected behaviour of someone in the position of uh, the duty holder um, and what that, what that means and how that gives rise to industrial manslaughter offence. Unfortunately, uh, this decision doesn't really elucidate for us um, how the courts are going to apply the test of criminal negligence, but it's really worthwhile given it's the first case for us to touch on it. So I might take us through the facts um, and then make some further observations. Um, it was a matter involving a company called Brisbane Auto Recycling Proprietary Limited. Um, and that company, of course, is a PCBU under the WHS regime here in Queensland. And also the case involved the two directors of the company who are named um, on the slide in front of you. Now, um, what happened was um, there was um, a worker of the company, a Mr Willis, um, who was in the process of collecting motor vehicles. Um, the business effectively would um, uh, use a, a, a tilt tray vehicle to go and collect motor vehicles, um, bring them back to a, a wrecking yard, and sort of wreck the vehicles, sell them, sell them off for parts, um, or sort of redo the vehicles, I think, and, and, and sometimes um, sell the vehicles themselves. Um, so um, a vehicle was brought into the yard and unloaded off this um, particular tilt tray truck. Um, and um, this particular individual um, then proceeded to load some tyres um, onto, the, onto the tray and was in the process of um, sort of, I think, strapping those tyres when um, an unfortunate incident occurred whereby another worker who was operating a forklift at the time um, reversed uh, quite some distance, in fact, um, and reversed not looking behind him, 
um, but seemed to be looking um, in front, so therefore sort of reversing without really um, watching where he was going, uh, and crushed this particular worker who was standing against the tilt tray, manoeuvring or strapping these um, load of tyres between sort of the back of the forklift um, and the tray itself. Um, and what happened was this, this worker was then taken by ambulance to hospital uh, and uh, from memory passed away about eight days later. Um, now, some interesting events transpired immediately post the incident. Um, I understand that um, there were some conversations with um, the ambulance officers and um, also some family members um, in the events post-incident with directors. And uh, one of the directors did make some statements um, about how the um, cause of the incident arose, including a statement about the fact that the person died from falling off the tray. Um, of course, um, that subsequently was proven not to be the case, and there was CCTV footage um, at the site which um, clearly showed um, how the um, death occurred. Um, <clears throat> there's um, discussion in the decision about uh, one of the directors uh, sort of misleading um, the regulator during interviews or the police in relation to the identity of the forklift driver. Um, I should say that the particular forklift driver who engaged in the conduct at the time that is who reversed um, into the worker um, who was ultimately killed. He was unlicensed, didn't hold the relevant high-risk work license under the work health and safety regs here in Queensland. Um, and so, um, you know, the, the um, discussion and the decision about the director's mis sort of misleading um, the investigation as to who was actually driving um, sort of may have been um, presumably because um, that director knew uh, possibly the person didn't have a license. <clears throat> Um, what was pretty telling from this case and why, in my view, um, it's not providing great guidance for us, but is probably a real um, um, example of um, the worst case scenario and a case where um, probably industrial manslaughter um, is an appropriate sanction um, for what happened, is we had a an outcome whereby Brisbane Auto Recycling um, had no documented safety management system at all. Um, it was well known at this wrecking yard that there were a number of forklifts that freely moved in and around the yard, um, as did um, other workers walking in and around the yard. Um, and the risk was well known that um, there was certainly a risk of collision between uh, the workers and the moving forklifts. And the decision held that um, these directors who were charged, and I'll get to the charges in a minute, uh, were um, patently aware of the potential catastrophic outcome that could arise in the event that a forklift um, did in fact collide with a worker at the site. During one of the interviews um, with the Workplace Health and Safety Queensland um, inspectors, <clears throat> um, in the decision, uh, it said one of the directors uh, was asked about safety management on site and asked about whether there was a docu documented safety management system that was conceded there wasn't. Uh, but the director uh, said that the approach to safety was that uh, he would advise workers to be safe um, and also tell them to look out for themselves. Uh, so um, that was the manner in which um, safety was handled at this um, particular site. Um, so if I can go to the next slide, um, we'll have a look at the nature of the charges. <clears throat> so in this case, um, Brisbane Auto Recycling uh, was charged under the new industrial manslaughter uh, offence here in Queensland. 
uh, which requires the establishment of um, a number of elements, being that a worker dies, and we clearly had that here, uh, that Brisbane Auto's recycling conduct caused the death. Um, and that's an interesting um, point to discuss, given that it's a company and how criminal liabilities attributed to the company. I'll get to that in a minute. Um, and that Brisbane Auto Recycling um, was negligent in its conduct in causing the death. And that's the concept of criminal negligence that Steve already sort of touched on. Um, <clears throat> the two directors of the company um, were not charged under the industrial manslaughter provisions. I'm, I'm not sure whether um, that was the outcome of any form of um, negotiation, but clearly the WHS product prosecutor ultimately made a decision um, not to proceed under the industrial manslaughter provisions, but rather um, to charge each of those directors for breach of duty. Remember, industrial manslaughter is nothing about duty here in Queensland. It's an offence only. And so um, the charges against the directors were that they failed to discharge their um, obligations as officers of this company um, and that, in fact, in failing to do so, they were reckless in their conduct. So that was the nature of the charges. Now, we're dealing with a case here where the directors and the company all enter guilty pleas to those charges. So we have sentencing remarks only. We, we don't have the benefit of a trial um, and decision on facts and proper consideration of the elements of the offences. Um, but we do have some findings, which you'll see in the slide, in relation to Brisbane Auto Recycling. Um, the decision was pretty clear um, that that particular company as a PCBU caused Mr Willis's death um, and it failed to put in place appropriate controls to manage that intersection that existed between mobile plant and workers at this wrecking yard and put in place um, effective um, separation mechanisms um, as controls to prevent the incident from happening. Um, after the incident, um, the decision discusses what the company did in fact do or the directors did in fact do and they were very simple measures of you know, a traffic management plan, some bollards and some exclusion zones, very simple inexpensive measures that could have been put in place prior to um, to have prevented this incident. Um, what's disappointing from the decision um, is that in, in finding the company criminally liable on an industrial manslaughter offence, the decision doesn't really highlight for us how in fact the conduct of the individuals is to be attributed to the company. Under the WHS Act here in Queensland, there's a very simple provision which says um, conduct of employees and agents and others acting on behalf of the PCBU can be attributed to the PCBU um, and therefore um, can be evidence used to provide that the PCBU has breached the law. Quite simply, the decision said um, that given the conduct of the directors and of the forklift operator, um, that is conduct of the company. So um, there's um, some further opportunities um, as further cases are handed down to get a better understanding as to how that works. Um, I should say that forklift operator, I understand, has been charged separately by the police um, for a dangerous driving causing death offence um, here in Queensland. Turning to the directors, <clears throat> um, they pleaded guilty to the reckless conduct charges. And I think there's a couple of points worth looking at in the case if you read it, um, and it's really in relation to this. Um, the charges that were laid against the two directors were over a period of time. So the charges say the offences took place from sort of January um, sort of 18 right through to May 2019 when the incident occurred. That's a long period of time. But I think it's relevant because I think it goes to how reckless conduct may be established against individuals in particular. That is because over that long period of time, it was established that, in fact, the directors not only knew plant 
and pedestrians were, were working in and around each other, <clears throat> okay, and there was an obvious risk of collision and catastrophic um, outcome, that is, people could die. But over that period, long period of time, the, de the decision discusses the directors um, stood by and did nothing. And I think that's an important element of this, um, that knowing, knowing the risk and the potential catastrophic out outcome, but a pleading that says over 15, 16 months, they did um, absolutely nothing, despite knowing that the risk was there um, and that this outcome could occur, meant that those elements combined gave rise to uh, the concept of um, reckless conduct um, that was found against the two directors. <clears throat> um, so um, different to sort of industrial manslaughter, which is looking at sort of an objective standard of falling so far short of what one might do, um, this actually focused on the state of mind of the directors at the time and how over a long period of time simply nothing was done. Um, if I can go to the next slide in terms of where we got to, um, at the end of the day, um, the court considered what the appropriate penalties would be um, and the outcomes were that the company was fined $3 million, um, albeit the decision discusses the fact that the company would no longer exist and be in operation, was to be liquidated. So really the um, impact on the company uh, seemed to be negligible um, such that it would only give rise to some general deterrence to industry and not to commit the same offence. Um, and the two directors got 10 months imprisonment but wholly suspended, meaning that um, provided they don't engage in conduct which gives rise to imprisonment terms um, for uh, a period of 20 months, they'll never serve time in jail. Uh, so looking at those outcomes, you come back to Steve's proposition, what's the real need for the industrial manslaughter offence? If the need is we need to increase deterrence and push up penalties and have jail times for people, um, this case certainly hasn't established that as the platform. Uh, what we have here is a 10-month wholly suspended jail term, and they are the sorts of things we've seen um, in relation to other matters anyway. Um, and a $3 million fine is within the ambit of the types of penalties that can exist under the Category 1 reckless conduct charge for PCBUs. So um, that's the decision, everybody. There were some mitigating factors that did go to the decision, uh, which are on the slide, including that the directors did cooperate and there was risk of deportation given they were Afghani nationals. Um, but that's um, that, that two factors that were discussed in short um, before the decision um, was handed down. So not a great deal of guidance. Um, if you want to have a look at it yourself, as I said, I think focus on um, how it highlights what reckless conduct of individuals might be. Um, and I think what we'll need to do is um, wait and see as further jurisprudence is handed down um, in this area to get a better understanding of the elements of the offences. So, um, look, that's the discussion that I wanted to um, have with you today. I think, and I think it's um, a good segue when we're talking about elements of offences to hand over to Anna and WA because um, over there there's a bit happening, Anna, in relation to industrial manslaughter. That's right, and thank you, Aaron. It's interesting to see your laws in Queensland being applied in a prosecution. We're not as advanced as Victoria or Queensland in industrial manslaughter laws in Western Australia. We don't yet have industrial manslaughter laws, but there is a bill in Parliament which includes industrial manslaughter laws in it. That's the Work Health and Safety Bill, and this is the long-awaited bill which is anticipated in Western Australia, which will harmonise Western Australian laws to bring them into line with those safety laws in other harmonised jurisdictions. Um, 
industrial manslaughter provisions weren't included in the initial consultation draft of the bill, they were a late inclusion. So these laws are actually what is currently holding up our bill in Western Australian Parliament. But it seems that um, the bill is making much more rapid progress through Parliament than thought when a committee reports on industrial manslaughter offences, which is expected to happen in the next couple of weeks, we expect that the Work Health and Safety Bill could then be passed as quickly as by the end of, as quickly as August, and we could then see laws enforced by the end of this year. Um, so what do our industrial manslaughter laws look like, those which are proposed in the draft bill? We've got, um, on the next slide, you'll see two different offences in Western Australia which are proposed, one of which is more controversial than the other. The first is the crime. This is the more serious offence, but it's the less controversial offence. This is effectively an, an offence involving a breach of duty which causes death, and it can be any form of any person's death. The person does not need to be a worker. And there needs to be an element of knowledge in, in respect of that breach of duty and its cause, it's causing death. So there needs to be knowledge that the, um, that the breach of duty is likely to cause death and conduct which is um, in disregard of that likelihood. So comparable to a criminal offence involving an element of intent, this is the, um, the way that they've structured the offence in the crime of industrial manslaughter. You'll see that the penalties for the crime of industrial manslaughter are significant and there are offences which can be prosecuted against both a person conducting a business or undertaking, so business effectively, which in some cases can be an individual if it were a sole trader, um, and also against officers. The crime looks almost certain to pass um, in its current form or close to it in, um, in the existing version of the bill. The more controversial provision, though, is the simple offence, which is on the next slide. The simple offence is controversial because of its breadth. The elements of the simple offence are a breach of duty, which causes death, which is um, considered to be quite broad, um, conceivably could cover a range of conduct. It doesn't need to be the primary cause. It just needs to be a cause. So there has been quite a bit of lobbying from different um, industry groups about the breadth of the, uh, breadth of the simple offence, the fact that it has very high offences connected, very high penalties, sorry, connected with it, and the highest penalties connected with any simple offence in Western Australia. And this is the offence which we think, um, if any, may not make its way into the final version of the bill um, which passes through Western Australian Parliament. Um, <clears throat> but what is significant about these laws and, and what do you need to be aware of in respect of these laws in Western Australia? To begin with, they're actually comparable, um, certainly the crime, to our existing accessorial liability provisions. So to Steve's point, did we already have some laws which were tantamount to industrial manslaughter? Arguably, yes, in Western Australia, but we saw them prosecuted very rarely. So while they are comparable to our existing laws, we do expect that they'll be tested. There's been a lot of noise about them. There has been unanimous support um, for the concept of industrial manslaughter laws on both sides of parliament. So we do expect that the regulators will have some mandate to ensure or to enforce these provisions um, if and when they're passed. Uh, they also come, interestingly, with a prohibition on insurance and indemnity in respect of offences under the legislation. So those fines are significant and they're uninsured. 
it's a it's a an offence under the safety laws to insure in respect of those fines. So that might make them more significant for particular organisations. Um, we we expect that um, we will get these laws in some form, and it will just be a matter of um, ascertaining exactly what they look like in the final version of the bill and whether the simple offence makes its way through. But if they are passed, the big question for businesses then is what do they require? What do businesses in Western Australia need to do differently? Um, is there anything they need to do that they're not currently doing to um, account for these new laws and to prepare for their implementation? Um, Nerida will address this uh, when she addresses the position in New South Wales, and we think the position in Western Australia is broadly the same as that in other Australian jurisdictions. Um, and the two things that we think you need to be alert to as a business in Western Australia and that you need to do in preparing for any industrial manslaughter laws are firstly to make sure your business and the, and the senior people within your business have a good understanding of the fatal risks in the business and how they're being managed and that some steps are taken to ensure that they're being managed. And secondly, that if there is a fatal incident in that unfortunate event, that you have robust and considered procedures for responding to that fatal incident, um, taking into account that this is a criminal jurisdiction. These offences will be prosecuted in a criminal jurisdiction and they carry significant criminal liabilities. So that's the current situation in Western Australia. Um, Nerida will now update you uh, on what's happening in New South Wales. I think we might we might still have you on mute, Nerida. Um, Has it worked? There we go. Hi, welcome back. Right, um, and, and that's finished. No, it is a short update. The position in New South Wales is the New South Wales government has ruled out uh, the prospect of introducing industrial manslaughter laws as a separate offence. Um, if we could move to the next slide. The position, though, is that the New South Wales government, shortly after the, the, the release of the Boland Review, said, you know, we don't think there is a need for the introduction of a separate industrial manslaughter offence. Um, but it really has taken a, a bit more of a nuanced position. It's kind of had a, a foot in, in both camps. So whilst the Victorian Parliament had its workplace manslaughter bill before it late last year, the New South Wales government introduced a bill to amend the Work Health Safety Act um, with not much fanfare. And those changes have taken effect. They took effect in June this year. But, but one of the changes is that there is now a, a statutory note which has been inserted into the WHS Act, uh, which says, in certain circumstances, the death of a person at work may also constitute manslaughter um, under the Crimes Act and may be prosecuted under that act. Now, that that doesn't change the legal position, but it really is the New South Wales government hearing the call and saying, we think these laws are already in place and we're just going to make sure that that is clear. Uh, there have been some more significant changes that have been introduced uh, in that amending bill as well, which really go towards the same direction uh, of increasing accountability, um, increasing uh, penalties um, and, and ensuring that, that that public expectation is met in the way that WHS laws are enforced. So a key change has been the introduction of an alternative fault category to the Category 1 offences under the WHS Act. So that is the most serious uh, offence under the WHS Act. Prior to the change, 
in order to succeed in a prosecution under the Act, the, the prosecutor had to establish that uh, the defendant had been reckless. And that, as Anna has touched upon, involves an element of, of knowledge, which is the defendant knew of the risk and was reckless as to that risk uh, and proceeded with their course of action. We have seen an introduction of an alternative uh, fault category, the concept of gross negligence, uh, which is a lower threshold to meet. There is no, uh, no knowledge requirement and it has been introduced really to make the category one offences easier to prosecute. Uh, it, there has also been, similar to what is being proposed in WA, there's been an introduction of a prohibition, a new offence, which prohibits the taking of insurance or the, the, ta uh, the taking of the benefit of any insurance and indemnity arrangements, which apply to WHS penalties. So in, in New South Wales, as it stands now, WHS penalties are also uninsured. So the, the New South Wales government position, we, we don't expect to see the introduction of, of industrial manslaughter laws in the short term. It's probably too early to rule it out. I think there's been somewhat of a softening of the position um, in the last six months, but we don't expect to see them in the short term. Um, in the ACT, we do expect to see their, they, they currently have an industrial manslaughter law um, down there. They have an offence which has never been used. It's not been well drafted. And we do expect to see that will be redrafted and, and reintroduced in the short term. Um, so that, that's the position. New South Wales, we don't expect to see it, but there is the same heat uh, and expectation on, on regulators and prosecutors to achieve criminal sanctions and criminal penalties against uh, individuals and companies, um, including in relation to workplace deaths. Um, if we could move to the next slide, I will just say earlier this year we had uh, the first of the sentencing decisions in the multiplex prosecutions um, in the ACT. So in 2016 there was a, a fatal incident at, a, at the uh, Canberra Hospital site and it, it involved the, the falling over of a crane, a crane tipped over and, and, and killed a worker on site. The crane driver was initially charged with uh, um, Crimes Act manslaughter, so not using the, the uh, workplace manslaughter offence in the ACT, but actually was charged with uh, Crimes Act manslaughter. And there were seven other charges laid uh, in respect of the incident against individuals, so against the principal contractor, against the subcontractor, the crane subcontractor, and against a number of individuals. And that included, uh, for example, the CEO of Multiplex uh, and the managing director of, of the, uh, the crane subby were each charged in, as individuals with offences under the WHS Act. Now, those... Charges have been in the courts for some time and earlier this year, in about March this year, we saw the first of the sentencing decisions handed down. And this was a really interesting decision because the, the, it, it was against the crane driver who was initially uh, charged with manslaughter. He had managed to negotiate his charges down. So he, he pled guilty to a Category 1 offence as a worker under the WHS Act. And the sentencing marks in this case were quite interesting because it, it, it gives a bit of context to... Um, uh, and he received 12 months wholly suspended sentence in, in respect of that charge. But it gives a bit of context to the way that these, uh, the, the, the approach that prosecutors are now taking uh, to the enforcement of WHS laws. So it, it was the circumstance where basically all of the witnesses uh, to the incident were charged with an individual offence. 
Um, two companies were charged with an offence. We've got the CEO of Multiflex, managing director of the subby, neither of whom were operationally involved and were not on site, both facing individual charges. And in those circumstances, the crane driver himself was able to presumably say to the, the prosecutor, you know, you need me as a witness. So he managed to negotiate his charges down to a, to a, a lesser charge on the basis that he then appeared as a, as a witness in, in the prosecution of the CEO and the prosecution of the managing director. And it really shows uh, the sophistication but, but also the approach that the regulators will take. They will always, uh, you know, there is now that... Uh, you know, we will see multiple prosecutions of individuals and we will see negotiations of charges, including kind of picking the person at the bottom of the food chain um, and, and negotiating with him or her. So that's a bit of context. Um, so moving to, and this is this is really uh, the kind of the take-home point, what do we do? We've got all of these differing, unhelpfully differing uh, offence provisions in each of the jurisdictions. What does it do? What, what do we need to do to respond to these laws? And really the position is the same as it always has been. You know, firstly, we need to be as focused on, on avoiding these incidents. You know, there is no, no industrial manslaughter um, uh, offence uh, concern without these, without these incidents. So the, the position doesn't really change what, what we do, you know. Uh, uh, companies and senior officers should be focused on fatal and catastrophic risks. They should understand how those catastrophic risks are controlled. They should have their eye on how effective we're controlling the risks and, and understanding the data and, and the information that's being put before them. Um, and, and there needs to be, as Anna's touched upon, a, a, a bit of planning in how we can support in particular, individuals' legal interests following an incident. Uh, so that is post-incident response and investigation, uh, consideration of, of, of separate representation for individuals where there will be um, senior individuals who, whose own legal interests in, in, uh, will, will be on the line following a serious incident. We need to respond to those issues quickly and be prepared for them. Um, I'm going to hand over to Steve. I think there have been some questions that have come through. Thanks, Nerida. Thank you all. Um, I mean, it's fascinating, isn't it? We've, we've had this debate about industrial manslaughter, the very first and pretty appalling sort of conduct that comes before the courts in Queensland. The workers don't get prosecuted with industrial manslaughter. They get prosecuted with the law as it currently existed. You know, New South Wales makes the observation We've got a Crimes Act. We've, manslaughter's been an offence since the First Fleet. Uh, well, why, why is it that we need a new special offence in the uh, WHS Act? And, and uh, you know, as Anna's explained in Perth, they're still grappling with that question uh, in that jurisdiction about the need and making the observation that's already there. So I guess we take two things from that. We can be indignant, I suppose, as uh, put upon by governments with extra regulation and extra offences. That's, that's one option, but you know, it won't get very far. The other, I think, is to, to ask, what, what can you do with this? What can you do with these new laws? And, and clients of ours uh, that we've been advising have, have used these new laws as an opportunity. What is the opportunity to, to have a discussion in our business about those things that Nerida spoke about at the end, fatal and catastrophic risk? What is the chance for us to renew afresh uh, what it is we do to manage those, those fatal risks? 
clients that have reviewed, for example, in Queensland, the Brady Review, the, the review of the last 47 fatalities in the resource sector in Queensland, uh, that is fertile information for any safety practitioner or lawyer working in this field to speak to the very simple, uh, they say banal, failures that can lead to deaths in workplaces. And I, and, I, and I think that's a macro advice here, that the world has not changed with the introduction of workplace manslaughter. It will change very much when there's a death at your particular workplace, so prepare for that now. But otherwise, think through what the opportunities are to reflect on that risk profile for, for your business. I've had a few questions in the in the chat box, Aaron, I'm interested, or, or, or Anna, or Nerida, in your thoughts. Uh, people have said, is it important? Is it important for us to identify who is an officer and who is not? Is is that a is that a newly significant question? What do you, what do you reckon, Aaron? We might be having you on mute too. All right. Oh, I've never There's a catchphrase of 2020. It's you're on mute. <laughs> I must hear that ten times a day. Yeah. Look, um, I I I think um that um it's a real area of confusion that's been created by the introduction of these laws. And in Queensland, there's been a lot of discussion over um who in fact is a senior officer. Um, and what we've what we've done here in Queensland is we've introduced a personal industrial manslaughter offence on someone who's a senior officer, yet we have a due diligence obligation on someone who is an officer, and the definitions are different. Um, one's connected to Section 9 of the Corporations Act, which um, people generally have um, a, a reasonable understanding of because separate and distinct duties fall off. Um, that definition is to someone who is an officer, where now we're dealt with a situation where if you're a senior officer, of a PCBU, you can be charged with um, an industrial manslaughter offence. And I, I don't know that it's particularly palatable. We, we're in a situation where there's some guidance that's been provided by Work, Workplace Health and Safety Queensland on um, what that means. And that guidance broadly says that that definition sits um, high within an organisation. Um, it's at um, you know the executive level and um, provides some sort of examples um, in the guidance material. But there's still a lot of uncertainty. And I think businesses are a bit nervous and individuals within businesses are a bit nervous um, about that, what that means. And um, in particular, with the introduction of the industrial manslaughter laws um, under the mining regime here in Queensland, um, which has only just commenced, um, you know, what that means for, um, you know, senior statutory roles, site senior executives and others. So Steve, um, I think it's a proper consideration for people to think about. People are naturally nervous um, if you're in a senior role about what's in it for me. Um, and so um, it's, it's, um, I think it's important in order to um, ensure that um, people understand um, if in fact um, those laws apply to them, um, that that's the case. But I agree, um, really, I don't think the industrial manslaughter um, offences change the landscape. The focus has got to be on the duties um, and what we naturally and ordinarily do to discharge those duties. Um, and that's where we, we ought to um, put our time and energy. Thanks, thanks, Aaron, I, I couldn't agree more. Nerida, we've had another question about what's happening in the Commonwealth uh, jurisdiction. Do, do we have, for those ComCare covered businesses, I know you and I help a few out, uh, are they yet subject to these new laws and what, what might happen there? Uh, not at the Commonwealth level, but the Commonwealth, um, as with the ACT, uh, is waiting for uh, the safe work review of the, the Boland recommendations. So I think probably in the, the medium term, we, we can you know, it's it's somewhat likely that we can see those laws will be introduced, but they're, they're not in place yet and there's no immediate plans. 
I think that's right. And you might imagine we've got to get a federal parliament that sits before they introduce any new laws, and it might not be. If it was a priority in 2019, it's perhaps less of a priority in, in 2020. Um, I, I might just go around the grounds for any, any final thoughts uh, from the group uh, and, and your take home message. Um, Anna, if, if I can impose on you, uh, interested in your final thoughts. Well, in Western Australia, I think just keep an eye on what's actually happening. And then, um, and the message is, as we've stated, um, it shouldn't require a great deal other than what you're already doing, other than to focus on facial risks, make sure there's an, a, a business focus on facial risks, some action taken to address them, and that you do have robust and considered incident response processes. Wonderful, thanks. Nerida, your, your closing thoughts? Um, I think it's very much the same in, in New South Wales. We don't have these laws yet, but what we have is a very determined regulator and an expectation that uh, that we will be achieving kind of high-profile individual uh, criminal outcomes. So the same approach post-incident needs to be taken that it would in any other state. And otherwise, we continue to do what we're doing. I can see there's another question that's come up, Steve, too. There is. I'll come to that. Thanks. Uh, Aaron, uh, final thoughts from you, and then, and then uh, somebody who's imposing upon me to actually answer that COVID question that I posed before, so I'm going to have to give it a go, I think. But Aaron, your, your thoughts? That question stole my thunder. I was going to throw it to you, Steve. But there you go. <laughs> Uh, oh, look, um, certainly in relation to uh, the um, Brisbane auto recycling case that we've talked about, um, there is um, nothing to concern yourselves about. Um, have a look at it by all means. Um, it doesn't provide us with um, any real guidance. Um, my worry with all of this um, is that there is definitely a genuine need for organisations to focus on uh, what it means in the event that an incident does occur. Uh, it might change the approach for some organisations. Um, I did read in um, sort of the first reading speech for the introduction of the IM laws into the mining regime that the minister made a comment that um, these laws would sort of be um, something that might improve the safety culture of um, sort of the, the, um, the resources sector. Um, and, you know, not, not sure um, whether in fact that's able to be achieved in a situation where uh, in, in the case of a serious accident and death, um, there's just a need for, for organisations and individuals to seek legal advice um, and to take adequate steps to protect their interests. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the long term, Steve, in terms of um, how we get safety improvements out um, following these sorts of serious incidents. Look, and that's, that, that's the debate, isn't it? That's, a, that's the reason why there was opposition to the introduction of these new laws. And again, an argument that's been run and lost. but. Uh, the, the proposition was, and I know the South Australian government adopted this thinking uh, when they reviewed their laws for, for manslaughter. If we amp up the, the legal risk, we are pushing down the capacity to learn from these incidents in a really open and transparent way. And there is something to that. It's not an absolute position, but I agree there's something to that. Um, the, the question about COVID uh, risk, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll make a general observation about the Victorian position. Um, when the manslaughter laws were introduced, the Attorney General, you know, quite fairly announced the new laws on the on the steps of Parliament and a journalist said, well, what about a what about a suicide? You know, a death connected to work, could that be prosecuted under these new laws? Uh, and, the, and the media response to that was, yeah, absolutely. Um, these are laws which are intended to have a very broad reach. Um, and, and I think that's an interesting insight that, that um, there is a sense now that there is a uh, broadening of the sorts of categories of events which might be said to be caused 
by a failure of an employer. In Victoria, for example, we have increased, uh, or at least changed, but it's led to an increase, the things that are considered workplace deaths. And for example, um, a, a, a motor vehicle accident uh, would never have been counted as a workplace death, even if you were commuting for the purpose of your job, your career, you're a salesperson, you're, you're travelling between roles, you're a truck driver. Those, those things were never included as a workplace death statistically in, in Victoria. And uh, as a corollary to the introduction of the workplace manslaughter offence, that changed. They broadened the things which are uh, deaths which are to be connected with work. And they've done that for a reason. They've done that for a reason, which is that uh, what you measure, you, you measure your performance against. And so state regulators who are, you know, triumphantly announcing that we're reducing the death rate uh, for, for workers, which is generally true, uh, will have a change to that narrative now because we're broadening the sorts of things which will be captured as a workplace death. And how does that answer the COVID question? Well, I, I think there's an analogy to be drawn here. Um, it is uh, very unlikely that a worker who contracts COVID uh, and, and you know, may, may pass away as a result of that would do so in circumstances where you would say that is as a result of the sorts of gross negligence that, that has been spoken about in the law here in Victoria. But it is not impossible to imagine that particularly as we increase our sophistication and our understanding of what our reasonable uh, pandemic response measures at workplaces might take, an absolute reckless disregard for those and directing people to work in those sorts of circumstances. And we're almost reading about some examples not dissimilar to that in the Victorian market at the moment, raises the spectre at the very least of a breach of the ordinary OHS duties, failing to take a reasonably practicable step and in circumstances where I think if an organisation then becomes specifically on notice uh, that there is a heightened risk in their workplace, they shouldn't discount that there is a there is a manslaughter risk. Now, would that be the first case that's run? I think it's very unlikely. Uh, there is a sense that organisations are all in this together, we're all learning together. Uh, and, I, and I don't think that'll be the first cab off the rank. I think we're far more likely to see the sorts of matters, you know, egregious conduct that Aaron's been speaking about, uh, if, if we're to pick the trend. But is it impossible to imagine? It is not. Uh, I would hate for you to leave this session uh, with uh, uh, some lawyer um, said to me, if anyone catches COVID, we'll all be done for manslaughter. I'm absolutely not saying that. But in, all, in, in, in situations where there is a risk which is known, which is willfully ignored in circumstances where the risk controls are available, forgetting the context, that is a description of the sorts of things that people should be worried about. So thank you so much. We've had lots of questions. Like uh, we, we can't answer them all, uh, I'm afraid, but we uh, would love to hear from you. If you want to reach out to any of the any of the four presenters, uh, we are freely available. You can find our contact details on the um, HSF uh, homepage. Thanks so much for your attendance. We've had a, a few hundred people who have given us an hour of their time, and we're very grateful uh, for this and for the for the you know opportunity to work with you. Uh, we'll host another of these safety leadership series before the end of the year and give you an update on some more contemporary trends across the jurisdictions. We'll, we'll settle on that topic and we'll send around the invite. But for now, from, from us all, thank you for your time and uh, we'll make available a recording of this session uh, over the course of next week. So thank you all. <laughs>